you could take out your phone real quick. We're going to Google something together. Google, Google, Google. We're going we're gonna to do a group Google here. And um, what I want you to do is type in your Google search bar, 2030 plan. 2030 plan. So it's something that has been going on since 2015, and I'm going to read if you just Google 2030 plan. 2030 Agenda Sustainable Development was launched by a UN summit in New York City on the 25th to the 27th of September 2015, aimed at ending poverty in all its forms. The UN 2030 Agenda envisages something, a world of universal respect for human rights and human dignity, the rule of law, justice, equality, and non-discrimination. If you go down a little bit on Google, you'll see if it just says, what's the five most important things of the 2030 plan? At the heart of 2030, five critical dimensions, people, prosperity, the planet, the partnership, peace, known, as the five Ps. Interestingly enough, in our world today, there are people, European Council, who want to control our world. And they actually voted this in 2015, and it hasn't happened, even though they voted this plan, even though they all agreed, it has not happened yet, because how many of us know it's not 2030 yet? But do know that the world is moving to this 2030 plan. What does that mean for us? You know, 1 Thessalonians 5.1 says this. Now, concerning how and when all of it's going to happen, brothers and sisters, we don't really need to write you. But you know quite well that the day of the Lord's will, will come unexpectedly, like a thief in the night. When people are saying everything is peaceful and secure, what is one of the number one things that they're offering with their 2030 plan? Peace. You know, the Bible talks about in the end, the Antichrist, one of the things, the very first three and a half years, he's going to have peace for the whole entire world. Peace, peace is his message. The message of the Antichrist is I'm bringing peace. Why do you think there's so much chaos in our world today? Because there's someone behind the scenes creating the chaos so that he can bring peace. There will be someone who you'll hear in the near future who's saying, I have peace. I have this universal message. I'm the one that's going to bring it to you. Now, interestingly enough, we know that God in the Bible, it's very clear. He says, I'm going to come unexpectedly like a thief in the night. So does it mean it's going to happen in 2030 on, you know, January 1st? No. Only God has full control, right? There are things that people set out to do, but at the end of the day, it's God's call when and where. But I wanted to read that to you this morning because I think it's very, very, very important that you be aware of not what happens only here, but what's happening around the world. And everything is being set up. Everyone knows it. They make movies about the end of the world all the time. Do you think it's just for movie and production and entertainment? Absolutely not. There's people who fully believe the end is coming. There are people who are non-believers. There are people who are atheists. Everyone believes one day, whether it's you know, us nuking each other or an earthquake that kills everybody or there's a comet that comes through, I'm telling you, everyone knows that at some point what we see now will be different. 
And so I think it's important, Ephesians 5.14 says this, the light makes everything visible. That's why it's said, wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Live by the Spirit's power. Be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act without thought, thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. I fully believe that this could happen in our lifetime, but that's not my choice. That's God's choice. And if this does happen in our lifetime, what kind of life then should we live? And are we living the life that he has called us to live? Now, sometimes, you know, 50 years ago, when they formed the European Council, there were people who they sold houses, they raised all their credit cards, and they said, if Jesus is coming back, let's, let's just blow and go. We're going to spend all that we can, and we're going to borrow all that we can, and then we're gone. Hallelujah, right? We're going to heaven. And so I'm not saying this this morning to scare you. I'm not saying it to threaten you. All I'm saying is, you know, God uses people as a warning sign and as a signal to say, am I living the life this morning that he's called me to live? Because if the end is coming soon, I will be judged how I live today. I will be judged how I live today. In Ephesians 5.14, I love how Paul lays this out. If you're asleep, it's time to wake up. If you're Christianity, if it's kind of like you're sleeping, your Christianity, it's time to wake it up, right? Live by the Spirit's power. Be careful how you live. That's why we almost always have to learn to live in the zone. Now, every zone and every one of us are different. You know what I love about God? He didn't make us robots. He didn't make us all the same color. He didn't make us all the same shape and size. We're all different. And, it, and he didn't make us different for to be funny, to be humorous, right, so that we could look at all, uh, all of our different, you know, attributes and say, ha, ha, he, he, like we did in junior high. Right? God made us different for a reason. We're special. We're unique. There's something special about us. We're all different and unique. And every one of us, when we see how different and unique we all are, you know what it should do? It should give us praise to God. Man, that's so awesome. That person is awesome in that. I'm awesome in this. You're awesome in that. And we should look at each other and inspire each other to live in a special place. Special places in the zone, in a God zone, in a God zone where he dwells. We've been taking a look at a young man named Joseph. And so if you have your Bibles, we're going to go to Genesis chapter 37. We start in verse 36. We see that his story moves on from family, and now his story takes a completely different direction. Verse 36 says this. Meanwhile, the Midianite traders arrived in Egypt where they sold Joseph to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Potiphar was the captain of the palace garden. 39 verse 1. When Joseph was taken into Egypt by the Ishmaelite traders, he was purchased by Potiphar, an Egyptian officer. Potiphar was the captain of the guard from Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. The Lord was with Joseph. So he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. Potiphar noticed this and realized that the Lord was with Joseph. Potiphar noticed and realized that the Lord was with Joseph giving him success in everything that he did. This pleased Potiphar. So he soon made Joseph his personal attendant. He put him in charge of his entire household and everything that he owned. From the day Joseph was put in charge of his master's household and property, the Lord began to bless Potiphar's household for Joseph's sake. Wait, the Lord began to bless 
Potiphar's household, for whose sake? Joseph's sake. All his household affairs ran smoothly, smoothly, and his crops and his livestock flourished. So Potiphar gave Joseph complete administrative responsibility over everything he owned. And with Joseph there, he didn't worry about one thing, a thing, except what kind of food to eat. Now, Joseph was a very handsome, well-built young man. Kind of reminds me of son Micah, right? And Potiphar's wife soon began, verse 7, to look at him lustfully. And she said, come and sleep with me, she demanded. But Joseph refused. Look, he told her, my master trusts me with everything in his entire household. No one here has more authority than I do. He has held back nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How could I do such a wicked thing? It would be a great sin against God. She kept putting pressure on Joseph day after day, but he refused to sleep with her, and he kept her out of the way as much as possible. Verse 11, one day, however, no one else was around. He went in to do his work, and she came and she grabbed him by his cloak, demanding, come on, sleep with me. Joseph tore himself away, but left his cloak in her hand as he ran from the house. When she saw that she was holding his cloak and had fled, she called out to her servants, soon all the men came running. Look, she said, my husband has brought this Hebrew slave here to make fools of us. He came into my room to rape me, but I screamed. And when he heard me scream, he ran outside, got away, but he left his cloak behind with me. A couple more verses. She kept the cloak with her until her husband came home, verse 17, and then she told him her story. That Hebrew slave you brought into our house tried to come in and fool around with me, she said. But when I screamed, he ran outside, leaving the cloak with me. And the last part, verse 19. Potiphar was so furious when he heard his wife's story about how Joseph had treated her. So he took Joseph, he threw him into the prison where the king's prisoners were held, and there he remained. So this morning as we do this, you know, one of the ways that I, I love to teach and I see the Bible, when I see the Bible, I just don't read it, you know, line by line, verse by verse. When I see the Bible, I want to get inside the person's head. and I want to get inside what's going on. And so to me, it's important in my head to paint a very visible picture. And so for Joseph, remember, 17, betrayed by brothers, betrayed, they wanted to kill him, murder him, all those horrible things. He finds himself in a new home. How many of us this morning have ever moved into a brand new home? It is one of the most glorious things in the whole wide world when you're the first to use a brand new toilet. Ah, that is so nice. You know, how about a brand new car? How many of you have ever bought a brand new car and you get into that car and man, it smells so perfect. There's no husband who has stunk it up yet, right? There is just perfect, it's wonderful, it's beautiful. There's something about the smell of something new. You know, for Joseph, he got a new home in our story today. He got a brand new home today. And he, the home that he lived in, it was about three stories. And so all the slaves, they lived and worked on the bottom floor. And all the people who had the money, they lived in the second and third floor where the servants attended them. And so Joseph, he got a new home. But you know what his new home? It's a little different than his old home. In the last home that he was in, he was the boss. And so he went from the top down to the bottom, top to the bottom. He was a slave. But no matter being a slave and no matter moving from the top to the bottom, did Joseph's attitude change one bit? He wasn't the boss anymore. He wasn't being in charge, right? He started at the very, very bottom. But you know what it says, and this is beautiful, it says that God was with Joseph. Joseph kept his head up. 
I'm a slave. I'm in a new home. I got a brand new start. I might as well make the most of this because my family's gone. Everybody who hated me gone. I might as well do everything I can. And it says that God was with Joseph. He prospered. Everything that he did, it says that Joseph started to find favor. He was promoted. He was entrusted to manage the whole entire house. The whole entire house. You know what I love? It says the whole entire house was blessed because of Joseph. It wasn't because of Potiphar. It wasn't because of his wealth. It wasn't because of who Potiphar worked for. It says that the entire house was blessed because of one man. And the mon- one man was the slave. What? How does how did a slave become the most blessed person in the house? How does the slave, the, the worst, the most bottom, the most horrible person everyone viewed in the house, how did he become the most blessed? How did he become so blessed that everything that he touched worked? Everything that he touched, God said he made it prosper. He made it better. You know, how many of you have ever been on the, what they call like a ride-along? You know, you ever ride along with a cop one day, ever ride along with, you know, dad one day, ever ride along with mom one day? You know, ride-alongs when you call and you ride with somebody for the day and you kind of see what they do, right? And so in this story, we see that the Potiphar in the story, he was on a ride-along with Joseph, and he was enjoying the blessing that this young man had. Many people in our world today, they're on ride-alongs. And sometimes they feel that they're blessed and they feel that they're good. But they don't understand that it's not their goodness and it's their blessing. When you get close to somebody who has faith, when you get close to somebody who is so blessed, sometimes you start to become blessed. But sometimes we think, ah, wow, I'm starting to be so blessed that it's my blessing. God blesses those who have faith. And not only any kind of faith, it's the faith that Abraham had. The faith that I will leave and go and do anything that my God asked me to do. This is the faith that charges. This is the faith that sends out blessing. God says, if you believe, and Paul reiterated this in Galatians, if you believe like Abraham, you will be blessed like Abraham. And you'll be so blessed that you'll be a blessing. And we see Joseph in this story, no matter where he was, no matter what happened to him, he lived and started living a blessed life. And everyone in the house became blessed because of Joseph. Unfortunately, this story takes a weird twist. And, and you know what I love about the Bible is it's not really a G-rated Bible. There, there is stuff in here that is horrible, horrific, and it's sad. And if some of us in here wrote the Bible, we would leave certain things out, right? There, there are horrible deaths. There are horrible things that happened and horrible things that people did to each other that are all in here. Why? Because it's a real book. It's a real story. These are real places. You can go visit every single one of the places that are talked about in here unless it's buried underground. And so in this story, it's a very real story with pieces that are not left out. Joseph says was he was a handsome young man. And because he was handsome, unfortunately, he started to get noticed by the wrong person. You know, I don't know if you've ever been in that situation where you're noticed by the wrong person, right? You're noticed by somebody wrong. You know, for some of our young girls, and obviously I have three daughters, that's my prayer, obviously, don't get noticed by the wrong one, right? There's a lot of horrible, mean guys out there in the world, you know, and of course, they're going to notice all my pretty daughters, but I pray that they get noticed by the right one, right? Since Joseph, he got noticed by somebody who really wasn't somebody you'd want to get noticed. But I love his quick response. And he says, how could I do this? I've been put in charge of all of this stuff in the house. The, my boss, 
He's given me the power over everything in the house but you. Here's a slave who was promoted to be the boss of the house, and he says to himself, how could I do this? The grace, the mercy that my boss has given to me. How could I do this against him? And he says, how could I do that? There's only one thing here that he didn't give to me, and that was you. It's kind of like if you go back to the garden, remember? What did God give Adam and Eve? He gave him the world. But he said, there's only one thing you can't have. And in this story, we see Joseph, he was given the power over everything, but what? One thing. And sometimes it's that one thing that really trips people up. And he says to himself, and he says to this lady, it would be a great sin against God. Now, he didn't say, notice, it's a great sin against myself. It's a great sin against you. It'd be a great sin against the boss. But you know what he said? He goes, this is a great sin against God. And sometimes we don't realize when we're so loved, and, and many of us in here married, we know how powerful and amazing love is, right? And so when you're married and you're in love or you're together with the love of your life, you know how powerful love is. And you say to yourself, I would never do one thing that would hurt the person that I love. And so Joseph in this story, even though he was young, even though he was only 17, he loved God and he understood how much God had loved him. And so for this young man, knowing how powerful the story is, how powerful love is, this man understood and he got it. And he says, you know what? I am loved by my father. I would never sin against him. 1 Peter 2.16 says, for you're free, you're, but you, yet you're God's slaves. Don't use freedom as an excuse to do evil. Respect everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God and respect the king. Paul says in Corinthians, he says, run from sexual sin. No other sin clearly affects the body as this one does. Sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Don't you realize the body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you, was given to you by God. You don't belong to yourself. God bought you with a high price. You must honor God with your body. No matter what Joseph said to this young lady, day after day, it says she kept after him, day after day. And it reminds me of another verse, Genesis 4-7. How many of us remember Adam and Eve? How many of us remember they had two sons, Cain and Abel, right? Cain decided one day that he wanted to murder his brother, and he did. He murdered his brother, the very first murder in the Bible. And as he murdered his brother, he starts having a conversation with God. And this is what God says, you will be accepted if you do what is right, but if you refuse to do what's right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at your door, eager to control you, but you must subdue it and be its master. And the symbolism in the picture that's being described there, which I love this. How many of us ever watch, you know, the National Geographic channel and you see lions that are they're going after their prey? How many of you have ever watched animals that kind of lie and they, they wait and they hide under bushes, rocks, wherever they can, and they wait for that perfect moment to pounce on their prey? As God was describing to Cain the very first murder, the hate that he had in his heart, this is what God says to Cain. He says, you have to be careful because there's somebody evil out there that's waiting to pounce on you. There's somebody evil out there that is trying to distract you. There's somebody evil out there that waits at the right moment, at the right time, to take you 
down. So day after day, this lady kept planning. She kept preparing. She was set on disaster. She was set on ruining this young man's life. And no matter what she planned, no matter what she prepared, no matter what happened, you know what happened? I love, she got denied. She got denied in the story. Instantly, of course, you got to come with your cover-up stories, and she lied to the servants, she lied to her other slaves, she lied to her husband, and she lied about Joseph. And so what did he do? He threw this young man in prison. Now, as we look at this story today, and we break it down, all those things to paint this picture of Joseph and all that he had gone through, and, and we talk about it, right? We talk about this week, and it was a very extremely long week. We look at Joseph and we're painting this picture of his life and the week, and the day that Joseph had being hated, being despised, being his brothers wanting to kill him, being sold off as a slave, being thrown into a pit, being stripped of his robe, his dignity, his authority, now being thrown into a place, a brand new home where he's a slave and he starts at the bottom but he works his way up to the top. Joseph, this man who had nothing but yet he starts to gain something in this new home. But as he gains something in this new home, immediately the devil starts to come in and try and distract. Immediately the devil sets a plan out to try and take this man. And this poor guy in this story, you know that we know his brothers, they stripped him of his coat and they threw him of the pit. And now in this story, his coke, his cloak, his coke, his cloak was ripped and, and grabbed off his body, and he ran away without his clothes. And then he was what? He was thrown into a prison. And so the things in his life started kind of circling around again. He was stripped by his brothers, thrown into a pit. This lady in the story stripped him of his clothes and then lied about him. And what was he? Thrown into prison. And in prison back then, it wasn't the pretty prisons like we have today. Right? They were nothing like what we have today. These things were dungeons, and they were filled with people who obviously were stinky, and they were gross, and they were mean, and they were horrible, and they did mean things. And so this dungeons for this young man. And I have to think, as you sit there for this horrible guy, not horrible guy, but this horrible place, what has to start running through his head? Like, what's next? Right? What's going to happen next? Like, my family hated me. I start over. I had a chance at a whole new life. And then this happened. And I did what was right. I made the right choice. And now I'm, man, now I'm in a prison? And you know, there's people today who say sometimes making the right choice still puts you in a wrong place. I might as well make the wrong choice then. There's people who say, you know, if doing the right thing is going to get me in trouble, then I might as well just do the wrong thing. For this guy, I have to wonder in his mind, what in the heck was, was going through Joseph's brain as he's for now the second time circulating through having nothing at all. But this time, it's kind of worse than the pit that he was thrown into. And this time, it's worse than the new home that he was in because now he's in a dungeon. And now it's dark. It's dreary. It's horrible. I'm thinking vampires, but they're not really real. It's horrible. And it's gross. You know, for Joseph, how many of us have ever been in a new place, a new job, new position? How many of us, when there's something new, our human effort, for whatever reason, I think our, national, our, our natural tendency is to try hard, right? 
If you have a new boss, do you try hard? If you get a new start, if you get something new, when you get a new project, how hard do you work at a new project? How hard do you work on something that is new? We like that word new. And maybe it's not brand new, but maybe new to us. And so how many of us are human effort? Anything new you put in front of us, something that we want, how many of us know our human effort can go through the roof? I'm going to give my very best for this new. I'm going to give my very, very best to work hard and to prove myself. I'm going to give my very, very best at this new. And you know what happens sometimes? There's a difference between our own work ethic and God's favor. Sometimes you can work extremely hard and you can be rewarded for that hard work. But nothing, even working hard and having a good work ethic can come close to God's favor. And in this story, we see Joseph who, he worked hard. But just because he worked hard, that was not the element of his blessing. Even though it was new. And we could say being a slave in a new house, all of us, I think all of us would probably try hard. Right? I think all of us, if we were, we were sold off by our family, we get to Egypt and it's a brand new town, it's a brand new time, I think all of us would give our best, man. I'm giving my best for this new. Right? But then what happens to the young man? He gets thrown into prison. And sometimes when new is just about our own effort. You know what happens to that? It starts to fizzle. How many of us, when it's something, there's a new song and it becomes our new favorite jam and we love it. How many of you play it over and over and over again and what happens? It fizzles. How many of us, your boss can give you something new to do and it's exciting for a while because you're going to do something new, but after a while, it starts to fizzle. Why is it in our natural human tendency, our own human effort, after a while, the things that are common, the things that we're used to, when it's our own effort, why does it fizzle? Why do people burn out of things that are so commonplace in our heart, mind, and soul? Why? And so for Joseph in this story, he was not his human effort, even though he had great work ethic, right? It was God's favor. And we know that God's favor, it rests on the faithful and it rests on those who are beautiful. Galatians 6, 9 says this, let us not get tired of doing what is good. At the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Let us not get tired of one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Let's not get tired of doing what is good. At the right time, we'll reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially those in the family of faith. You know, as you ask yourself this morning, why are we in this scene called In the Zone? And I didn't put it up there this morning, but I had this graph that I've been sharing about the comfort zone and the fear zone and different things that we as people, we deal with on a daily basis. There are all emotions, there are thoughts and feelings that all of us, we could go through in a matter of seconds and minutes. And so no matter what happens, no matter what is going on in the world today, what is God asking of me? What is God asking of you? And I think he's asking that we as Christians, we live consistently what we talk, preach, and live. That we, wherever we go and whatever we do, none of us in here, we're perfect. We're close, but we're not perfect, right? But 
that we live consistent no matter what is going on in life. Like Joseph in this story, no matter what was going on in his life, what did he do? He lived a consistent life no matter what people did to him. No matter what people said, no matter where they threw him, whether it was prison in a pit, whether he was stripped of his clothes, his dignity, his authority, what did he live? He lived a consistent, godly life. And at the point where he ran into something that is beautiful, you know what he said? He said, no, I don't need you. We in our world today, we have a challenge with this word beautiful. We in the, our world today, there's something about the word beauty and beautiful. There's something that entices so many people that, that warps our brain, that can warp our minds with what things are that we consider beautiful. Sometimes we can, we can look at beautiful and we can start thinking of perfection. And so there are so many people in our world today, they are chasing the image of beautiful and they're chasing, they're chasing the image of perfection. But you know what that does? It changes your expectations of today. It changes your expectations of what God is expecting of you. In this story, here's a man, a young man, who he had to prove himself to be faithful. And so all that he goes through in this part of his life, he had to stand up and say, I don't need what does not belong to me. I don't need what does not belong to me. I'm not going to rob myself of my best that God has for me just because something beautiful is sitting right in front of me. Today, all over our world, people rob each other. They steal what they think is beautiful in work, in home, in stores. Even in church, people have an image of what a beautiful church or what a beautiful home or what a beautiful job looks like. All of us, and, and sometimes we start to rationalize beauty and perfection together. The Bible says there's only one who's perfect, right? And who is that? It's Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament, what is one, one of the Ten Commandments? Don't worship any idols. What's devil use as an idol? He uses this image of beauty. He uses the image of beauty. And so for the young man in this story, he passes this test with flying colors. And he says, I don't need to look at, I don't need to mess with what's beautiful. His wife wasn't a dog. Potiphar's wife wasn't a dog. She was beautiful. But he says to himself, I'm not going to take what's not mine. I'm not a thief. And this morning, none of you, I know none of you in here, none of us in here were thieves either. But be careful what we see, what we do, because the devil, this is one thing that he tries to plan in all of our heads, chase the image of what is beautiful. And it doesn't mean just beautiful people, right? Our world is full of beautiful people. Some of us, we chase things that are just beautiful to us, and they become so important to us. I love what this young man did in this story after he tells her, I would never sin against God. What did he do? He ran, right? Turn to your neighbor and say, run, run. Say aloud, run. Run, 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 Rudolph, right? This young man, he had enough understanding to know when it was time to turn and run. He knew. And I wonder this morning if there's anything God's asking you to turn and run from. Is there anything in your life this morning that God's saying it's time to turn and run from this situation? It's time to turn and run from this. You know, we find ourselves again in this thing called in the zone. And we're looking, we're watching, and we're studying this young man. And I have to say to myself, how the heck, 
how the heck did he do it? How did he keep a good attitude? How did he keep going? He had a very powerful word that was inside of him, and it's called self-control. Proverbs 25, 28 says this, a person without self-control is like a city with broken down walls. If you ever find yourself, you're the type of person who you always give in. The Proverbs, the writer says, listen, a person without self-control is like a city with broken down walls. Joseph had self-control. He was strong because he was 17. He was mighty because he was young and he was full of youth, right? But even in his youthfulness, he knew how to say no. Galatians 5.22, the Holy Spirit will produce so many good things. But one of the most powerful things, if you allow the Holy Spirit to produce in you, is self-control. If there's things we can't say no to, who do you turn to? Turn to the Holy Spirit and say, Holy Spirit, help me say no to this. Holy Spirit, help me to say no to this. Second Peter 1.5 says this, in view of all of this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. Supplement your faith with generous provision of moral excellence, moral excellence with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with patient endurance, and patient endurance with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love for everyone. Joseph, in the story, we know that he was set apart. Joseph, this young man, he set himself apart. And you know how he set himself apart? <clears throat> from the family he came from. His dad loved him. His dad was the chosen one from God. And even though that Joseph was, was he wasn't the youngest because he had a younger brother named Benjamin, but he was younger than the other guys. He was chosen to be the next leader of the family, even though that he wasn't the rightful age and person to do so. He set himself apart. The love that his dad gave, it fueled him to do what's right. The love that he had from his earthly dad, it fueled him. He knew his dad's story. His dad, Jacob, didn't have a perfect story, right? We know that his dad, Jacob, he, he was a trickster and did so many different things to get where he wanted to go. His dad wasn't perfect. But Joseph in this story, the love that his dad showed him, but then you know what also? The plan of future that God had for him also fueled him. Fueled him. Joseph was fueled by the love of his dad and the desire of his heavenly father, the plan for his life. That set him apart. And yesterday I was doing a little study on uh, Isaiah, and we started this morning with that book, Isaiah. And the prophet in this, this story, he felt so consumed by the presence of God. He felt so consumed by God's grace. He felt so blessed and forgiven. He felt so consumed by how good God's forgiveness is. And he says, wow, God, I'll do anything to help you. God, he goes, man, I'm such a sinner, but if you're willing to forgive me, I will do anything for you. And so he says to God, here am I, send me. My title today is called Bless 24-7. Turn to your neighbor and say, Bless 24-7. Bless 24-7. And if you think about being blessed 24-7, it's too blessed to be stressed, right? If you're thinking, bless, bless, yes, too blessed, I'm way too blessed to be stressed. And if you think of the blessed 24-7 that starts circulating in your brain, then that means I should be blessed, what, all the time. Now, hear me on this one. When we read Joseph's story, it says that he was blessed. But wait a second. Even though he found favor, even though he was blessed, 
did he still fall into ugly situations? Wait a second. So being blessed doesn't protect you from ugly situation, but being blessed will get you through ugly situations. See, sometimes we got this backwards because how many of us, even in this story, it says that everything Joseph set out to do, what was he? He was successful. Joseph was what? Prosperous. What? Joseph, everything in the house succeeded because Joseph was awesome. And so how many of us, we start thinking in our head, I should be blessed 24-7. I should never encounter anything tough. I should never have to go through anything that's difficult. If blessing 24-7, if it talks about in here, you know, you're more blessed and all these things. Wait a second. Joseph was supremely blessed 24-7. But why was he mistreated? Joseph was blessed 24-7. Why was he stripped of his dignity and authority of the family? Joseph was blessed 24-7. Why was he sold as a slave? Joseph was blessed 24-7. He denied sin, and he paid for it. He said no to sin, and he paid for it. Wait, he's blessed. Why would he pay for doing the right thing? You see, in our minds today, we kind of have a warped view of blessing. We do. We expect everything to be perfect 24-7. Did God promise in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation perfection all the time? No. But what he did promise, like Joseph, if you're faithful, if you're obedient, if you listen for my voice, my blessing will get you through every single situation. Blessed 24-7. So for our young man in this story, it encourages us, it should inspire us, no matter what we're going through, no matter who sells us off, no matter who stabs us in the back, no matter who tries to throw us in a pit, no matter who tries, anyone who tries to throw us in prison, no matter what is happening in this world today, God will bless me 24-7. Doesn't mean it's going to be perfect, but his blessing will see me through. I'm going to close with this Bible verse, Psalms 23, starting in verse 1. It says, the Lord is my shepherd, and because he's my shepherd, I have all that I need. Notice David didn't say, the Lord is my shepherd, and I'm going to go get all that I need. He said, the Lord is my shepherd, and so I have all that I need. David was a shepherd boy, and he understood what being a shepherd was all about. And he says, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my guide. The Lord leads me, guides me, protects me. He lets me rest in green meadows. Life is beautiful and perfect at time. He leads me beside peaceful streams. It's so awesome and beautiful. And you hear the streams going by and you see the, the rainbow trout in there flowing by in the streams right now. He renews my strength. God guides me along the right path, bringing honor to his name. But... Verse 4, even when I walk through a dark valley, I will not be afraid because you are close beside me. Your rod, your staff, they protect and they comfort me. And I love what the writer goes on to say. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. Why? Why would God prepare a feast for us with our enemies there? Why would God surround us with people who don't like us and we don't like each other? 
if we're blessed 24-7 and life should be perfect and rainbows and should be so sweet and kind everywhere we go and everything that we do, why is there a dark valley? Why is there enemies in the first place? I'm the sweetest, kindest, most humblest, wonderfulest person in the whole wide world. Why would I have any enemies? Right? But it said, God leads me through dark valleys. Well, why would God do that? He said, God prepares the table with my enemies. Why would God do that? And I ask you this morning, ask yourself, blessing in our minds, it's different probably than what blessing is in the Bible. Blessing isn't perfection. One of the things I wanted to point out today is Joseph was tempted with beauty. And I'm not saying that any of us are tempted in the same kind of situation, but we are tempted with things that are beautiful. Perfection in ourselves in other people, and the desire for perfection. We desire what is beautiful, what is right. And so the psalmist, King David, he says, God is my shepherd, and if God is your shepherd, what did he say? I have all that I need. Jesus talked about in Matthew chapter 5, he said, listen, we shouldn't worry about what we eat, drink, and clothe ourselves with. We should not worry about those things. He said, if you seek God in everything that you do, all these things should be added unto you. Now, that does not mean that we act like a donkey. Now, I don't know if any of us have a donkey in here, but there's a story of a donkey that, you, that, a, that the owner, he put two barrels of hay in front of the donkey. As he's sitting there looking at the two barrels of hay, the donkey could not decide which one to eat. And you know what happened? He starved himself. We as Christians today, unfortunately, the world is set before us, the physical world and the spiritual world. And for some of us, we're trying to decide which one to eat and which one to feed. God needs us to grow today. God needs us to get beyond where we were yesterday. God needs us to live in a zone. If the 2030 plan is going to happen in seven years and two months, if this is going to happen in our world today, if, the, if someone's going to come into power and it's going to bring the whole world under control, we as Christians better wake up and start making better choices. And you know what we better do? We need to start bringing people to the Lord. Because if the end is coming, we need to make sure everyone that we know is saved. All of us are evangelists. Doesn't mean I'm not a full-time evangelist. I don't do it. I have a full-time job, right? And I have a family, and I have this, and I have that, right? So I don't spend 24 hours a day evangelizing. But I can tell you that we should prioritize our time because if the end is coming, we need to do our part. And if we're going to do our part, then we have to learn to live like this young man in the story, Joseph, blessed 24-7. No matter what I go through, no matter what people do to me, no matter if I pay the price, even for the right choice, I will do the right thing. I'm going to be consistent. I'm going to choose to do what's right. Even if God prepares a table with my enemies, you honor me with anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessing. Surely goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life. And I will live in the house of the Lord forever, forever, and ever. And I close with this last verse. John 10, 10. The thief's purpose is to still kill and destroy, but Jesus said my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. What kind of life does God want you to have? John 10, 10. Super abundant, excessive, exceeding, more abundant, highly, beyond measure, but in all of those things, not to be confused by it, that means 
perfection, but let his blessing get you through every single situation you face today. Let his blessing get you through. What is blessing in the New Testament? Stand for superabundant, excessive, exceeding, more abundant, highly, and beyond measure. Let his word, let his blessing get you through everything that we face this week and every single thing that we face. Let's pray. God, we come to you this morning. We thank you for just a beautiful day. God, we thank you for your grace, your mercy. God, we thank you for the word, the word of God. God, we thank you for this book. We thank you for the Holy Bible. God, we thank you for every single person that is in it. God, and how it relates to our life today and how it relates to things that we're going through. God, that we can lean in and we can learn from every single individual that's in here. God, so I pray that the story of Joseph, the story of his life and all that he went through, but yet he continued to have a good attitude. All that he went through and yet he continued to make right decisions all that he went through and he had an opportunity to screw up and he said no God help us no matter what we face this week help us to say no help us to turn and run from wrong situations help us to turn and run from evil people help us to turn and run when there's something that could trip us up this week God Help us to have self-control to say no. No matter what we face, no matter what we do, God, we offer ourselves to you today. Help us to live in this zone. Help us to go out and to make you famous. God, help us to be able to witness the people you bring into our lives. Help us to be strong. Help us to be courageous. Help us to be courageous, God. And help us to be faithful and obedient like Joseph, God, to do the right thing. We love you. God, we give you all things. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.